Good morning. Would you stand with me in reverence for the reading of the Holy Scriptures from Galatians 5, 13 through 16 and Galatians 6, 1 through 3. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Opening story. That's how we start one of these things, right? Um, so, I remember a distinct memory I have uh, related to the Door of Hope community. This was back when it was just the one Door of Hope before we planted Northeast, this church, the sister church to the original Door of Hope. Um, but my son, my, old, my first son, my older son, who is now seven, uh, when he was born, there was, there was a, a moment I, I'll never forget. Um, they gave, you know, they give them the, a standard look over shortly after they come out of the womb, and they just, they flagged something. They said, there's, there's something here we want to we wanna check out, and we'll send a specialist later. So uh, maybe on day two, we, we ended up being in the hospital, I think, for seven or eight days uh, when he was born. Uh, he went to the NICU for a time. But they, they sent a, an ultrasound technician in to, to, to check for something, and, went, and they, what they basically told us was, we see this little dimple on his lower back that could be an indicator of uh, a a condition um, called a tethered spinal cord, which can develop into a condition called spina bifida, you may have heard of. They can cause all kinds of issues for uh, the nerves uh, in a person. It can, of course, uh, all, you know, in the most extreme cases, result in death, uh, result in paralysis, all kinds of things. So we didn't like getting that news. We didn't like getting that news. And sure enough, the technician came as well, you know, a doctor's gonna have to look at this. And so it was kind of this protracted time of you know, getting a little bit of information, not knowing what the case was, but sure enough, it turned out um, at some point along the way that they said, yes, he does have um, a tethered spinal cord. And uh, so we're gonna, have to, we're gonna have to move to address this. And they don't like to perform surgeries uh, of this type before, gosh, now I can't remember. It was either three or six months old. I'm like, you'll do that at six months? Like, are you serious? And so the, the, the trick, I guess, is you want it to be late enough where their body has developed a certain amount of um, you know, strength, but you don't want to wait too long before the condition could start affecting the nerves and so forth. And so anyway, let's say it was six months. I should really remember this detail, but I don't, so let's be honest about it. Um, say it was six months after he was born. We knew he was, our son was going to go have spinal surgery uh, at the hospital. And... You know, this was just one of those deep, dark, scary things. And, you know, you don't live long in this life before you come up against something like this. Someone that you love um, is in danger, is in danger. And uh, thank God we live in a place with modern medicine and all the amazing technology that we have to deal with things like this. But there's never a guarantee that it's going to go well. You, you never know how these things are going to shake out, and we didn't then. Um, and so in our, in our stress, I just remember the emotional reality of being carried uh, by people from this church. I remember people coming, you know, sharing with a number of friends in, well, I guess it wasn't this church, back at Dorf Hope Southeast, and saying, we need you. 
people coming, people multiple times coming. I remember the night before we took Lane to the hospital for the surgery, just people in our, room, in our living room crying with us and praying over our son, hoping that uh, this went well. Um, I remember after the surgery, people bringing us meals, people you know, coming by to, to check on us, people you know, checking in to see if we needed anything, and just being there. Some of the most powerful things I remember are people just sitting with us on, you know, before the surgery happened, just the ministry of presence. Um, so we experienced in that moment, uh, spoiler alert, uh, the surgery went well, no complications. As far as we know, the, the thing is behind him, and that's not something he's going to have to deal with. Uh, so praise God for that. Um, but we also know that that wasn't guaranteed. And life, such as it is in this broken, fallen world, there's always uh, danger around the corner. Um, but what, regardless of how it went, the call is always the same. The call, to me, I now recognize, is to be that kind of person for you and for whoever else finds themselves in these situations. The, the call that Jesus has for his church community is that we would, and the words of Galatians that um, Cassidy just read for us, is to be people who bear one another's burdens, who don't see something like that happening and just sit back and say, They've probably got it. They're probably fine. There's probably other people who are going to care and come in and step into the situation. No, the kinds of people who are developing the kinds of souls that will run into the fire to be there, to, to offer help however we can, even if it's nothing more than just presence, to say, I am just with you in this. So some of you have been that for me. Some of you in this room have been that for me. And... The call that this, this scripture is, is going to make on us this morning is that we would all increasingly more and more become that kind of presence to one another. The series we've been in is called uh, One Anothering, The Shape of Life Together in the Family of God, where we are trying to, to zoom in on the mutuality commands of the New Testament. So uh, week one, we considered the call to love one another, which we, we kind of see as the basic meta command of the Christian life. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment to love one another just as I have loved you. And that's not a brand new commandment, but it's new in the sense of the force, like love like Jesus. Like, love like Jesus has loved us. And that, and that also it's new in the sense that it's the marching orders for this brand new community he was building we call the church. So we just talked about the idea of love week one. Then week two, we looked at two commands, uh, to forgive and to forbear with one another, which are calls ultimately not to run away, but to press into challenging relationships that will inevitably come. The, the biblical authors know that to live life with any kind of proximity with humans, and that's what the church is meant to be, a, a proximate relationship, will mean you will have to learn to forgive people and even if it doesn't rise up to the level of people wronging each other and sinning against each other, you will have to bear with one another. You will have to forbear people who just get on your nerves, people who you just don't really want to spend time with out of love. So that was week two. Week three, which was last week, we looked at the commands to confess your sins to one another and to pray for one another, which if I could boil the point down to a phrase, it would be to pursue genuine spiritual intimacy in explicitly spiritual things with one another. When we're caught in sin, we sh not with everyone and not in every context, but there should be people that we can confess our sins to and that we, we receive the confession of other people and we get to be mouthpieces of the grace and mercy of God back into those situations. 
uh, and to pray for one another, to pray both, of course, as it relates to these sin struggles, but to anything else. It would be people who are dragging one another into the presence of God. So today, we're considering two more commands uh, that are also related to one another. We're considering the call to serve one another and to bear, or another word we might use is to carry one another's burdens, which are both found a few verses apart in Paul's letter to the Galatians. These commands deal with the call to concern ourselves with the practical needs of our brothers and sisters in the church, whether those are physical, emotional, or spiritual. That's what it means to serve and to bear or carry the burdens of one another. So let's pray. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord, every one of these things is just so weighty and so serious and so... um, such a challenge, Lord, and also such a potential place of pain when we see these things not met, when we see these hopes kind of crushed, when we, when we long to either serve or be served in these ways and don't see it happen, Lord. And we know that's probably an inevitability, but Lord, we ask, we ask this morning as we just, as we give a few minutes here to considering these things that you have for us, Lord, that you would give us a fresh vision and excitement just start with the desire in us, Lord, to be this to one another and give us the vitality, the energy, um, yeah, the muscle, Lord, to actually live into these commands, Lord. We do, I, I believe if we, could, if we could take significant steps in these directions, Lord, oh, there's no end to what you might do with it. So we just say we need you. Help us. Holy Spirit, help us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first passage uh, connects the idea of service to the heart of love. And I'll read, I'll read these three verses again, um, or four verses rather. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So this passage is kind of sandwiched between two teachings from Paul, one that's talking about what is freedom for the Christian? What is freedom that, that, what is the freedom of the gospel that gets us out from under the crushing weight of the law that we can never seem to be able to live perfectly obediently to? The gospel brings us a fresh freedom that's found in the secure knowledge that Jesus has fulfilled the law for us. When we are in Christ, we stand before God as those who have fulfilled the law by virtue of Jesus's righteousness. So we are free. But then, he follows this by this discussion of what it means to walk by the Spirit. And shortly after is the discussion of the fruit of the Spirit. What does it look like when someone walks closely tethered to the Holy Spirit? What kinds of things get produced in someone's life? So this is kind of a little transitional passage between these two ideas. And he centers it on the idea of service. And so what is service? Well, it's a form of the Greek verb, uh, douluo, which means to be a slave or to perform the duties of a slave. So to serve is a fair translation. Serve is what slaves do, what slaves did in their culture. Uh, but I want you to feel the force of that. We, we just gloss over that, and there's a reason English translations often don't, because it kind of puts this unsavory thing in our mouth, like, oof, I don't really want to think about that. But it's a word related to slavery, 
So to serve, service is to practically orient yourself to the good and flourishing of another person at great cost to yourself. At great cost to yourself. Even, of course, to the cost of your freedom. That's the implication here. But remember what Paul's saying. Paul is saying that freedom here is also, though, based on our genuine freedom. It's based in genuine freedom. So it's this idea of like, we are free, but don't use your freedom to just do whatever you want. Use the freedom that you've been given in Christ to make yourself a slave to those around you. Almost a contradiction in terms. This is freedom limiting itself because of love for the good of another. Commentator F.F. Bruce said, it is as though Paul said, if you must live in slavery, because he's been talking about, don't go back to slavery, don't go back to slavery, but if you want to live in slavery, here's one form of slavery which you may safely indulge. The slavery of practical love for one another. One could similarly envisage him saying, if you must live under the law, live under the law of love. That is the law of Christ. And the New Testament concept of service is closely, you're probably picking up on this, it's closely related to love. These definitions are almost the same. You could think of service as like the practical outworking and expression of love. Love expressed through self-limiting, others-blessing acts of service. So, you have freedom, but don't use the freedom to just do whatever you want, to indulge your flesh. Use the freedom that you might serve one another through love. And then he reminds us that the whole law is fulfilled in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now you could bite and devour one another, you could consume one another, you could just constantly play the game of trying to climb up over one another's backs and have better and better prominence. You can do that, but I say walk by the Spirit instead. And if you walk by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit himself, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, but you will rather enter the game of trying to humble yourself below your brothers and sisters, to give more of yourself to them. That's what Paul is after. But we're, st- we're swimming here in kind of the vague. So let's go to the next passage to put a little bit more concreteness onto this idea. So we skip a few verses ahead to chapter 6, and Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So many believe that we can think of this command, the the bear one another's burdens command, as a subset of the first one, that Paul is kind of coming back to this idea, and he's trying to give us a practical example. So to carry or to bear one another's burdens like, um, is one example of what it means to serve other people. It's a, it's a primary example. And so what kind of burdens does Paul have in mind here? Well, he gives us an example of one, which is the burdens related to sin. So this word, he says, if someone is caught or taken by surprise by a transgression, the idea is someone who has stumbled into a sin as opposed to someone who's just sort of willfully obstinate and settled in their sin, someone who's fallen into sin and uh, needs to be restored, needs to be cared for. And we should know this is all of us, a lot of the time, if we're honest and if we're at all self-reflective. We are this person who, who is caught in transgression and sin. So the idea that Paul is 
getting at here is someone who is burdened, who is grieved, who is maybe ashamed. There's this load of guilt and the isolation that comes with it that might be super heavy on this person. This is a spiritual burden that Paul is talking about. It's the burden of sin. So how do we bear or carry this kind of burden for someone else? Well, he tells us. The key word he uses is gentleness. Gentleness. An understanding, a humble kindness, a strength under control for the good of the other person. And then Paul mentions two similar truths that help us in this. First, I mean, this is easy to to miss the connection of these things, but look, first he acknowledges that that we are no different. So he says, if you find someone caught in, you know, in in sin, restore them gently. And remember, look, look what he says right after that. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. He says, first, you have to do this well. You have to acknowledge that you will be in this position too, very likely at some point. Them falling into this is not unique to them. First, acknowledge that you are no different. We can fall into the same temptations. So you come to this person with a sense of sympathy, a sense of empathy. Remind yourself, but for the grace of God, I would be in this exact position right now. Keep watch on yourself. And then second, in verse 3, he, he wants us to, to consider our own weakness. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Acknowledge our own weakness. You have to come into these moments with a sense of humility, a sense that, man, we are weak as well. These are, of course, related ideas. And this just takes us back to something that the the key sentence I always remember from Tim Keller's ministry. He would often brilliantly put it this way. He says, "The the gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared imagine. It's the humility and that, that breeds empathy and sympathy for people caught in sin, because the gospel says we are far worse than we could ever imagine, but you are also more loved, more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. That is the central paradox at the heart of the gospel, and this truth breeds both a healthy kind of pride and dignity. I am loved by the God of the universe. I am fully forgiven. I have been named his daughter, his son, No one can snatch me out of his hand. He views me with the righteousness of Christ if I have trusted Jesus. There is a dignity and a healthy kind of pride there. But then by the very same token, it it breeds the kind of healthy humility and lowliness that says, man, it is all because of him. Any righteousness I have because of him, the good in me is because of his grace and his work within me. The gospel is key to doing this well. And it's necessary for doing what Paul commands here. So, Paul is taking us down like into a Russian nesting doll here. He started with the great command back in in the previous uh, passage, the law of Christ. What is that? Love one another. That's the, again, the benchmark. Love gets regularly expressed through service. And now he's taking us down one, le- one layer more in this, this passage here. Service regularly takes the form of burden carrying. And one example of burden carrying is how we lovingly come alongside someone who's weighed down by their sin. Coming to them in empathy, sympathy, humility to help them heal, to help them find restoration, to find, help them find belonging again with an uncommon gentleness. That's what Paul says. But 
burdens related to the weight of our sin aren't the only burdens we carry, are they? For all of those, those are burdens that all of us do carry, uh, if we're at all, again, perceptive, self-reflective, honest. But there are plenty of other kinds of burdens. And I, you know, just not going to go into too much depth on any of these, but what are other kinds of burdens? Loss, grief, anxiety, depression, pain, trauma, addiction, anger, loneliness, confusion, sexual struggles, doubt, spiritual burdens, financial challenges, identity issues, relational discord, marital strife, parenting challenges, parent challenges, family challenges of all kinds, health issues, lack of needed material resources like food, clothing, shelter, and on and on and on. Burdens can take almost any shape or form. Or form. So burden carrying, the command here is to see those needs, whatever they are, be they emotional, be they primarily relational, be they primarily physical, be they primarily intellectual, all of which properly understood are spiritual. To see them, first you have to see it, and then you have to decide to come next to that person and to step under it with them and to give your resources, be they your emotional energy, your physical energy, your money, your belongings, your space, to help. To bear is to shoulder. It's, it's to come under it with them and say, I will help you carry this thing. It's letting love move from your heart. Hopefully it's in your heart. If it's not there, then the game's over. We can pack it up, go home. But love move from your heart out through your body into actually doing something to the, the person that's burdened next to you. You can think of the words of James. Slightly different context, but I think it's perfectly applicable. James in chapter 2, verse, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? This is the same territory that Paul is exploring. So practically, what's being asked of us here? If we're Christians, we say, okay, I trust the Bible. I understand these commands, these mutuality commands rooted in love are for me and for my relationship to the church, to my brothers and sisters that make up the local church. What is being asked of me here? To serve and to bear or to carry. First, sound like a broken record. Well, actually, I haven't mentioned this yet. First thing is, it, we, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, is to be ones who are burden sharers. So it's often really, really hard to be vulnerable with what we really need. So much vulnerability in the church, and I put myself as the chief of sinners in this category, so much vulnerability is the safe kind. It's like, uh, let's, let me, I know I need to be vulnerable with some people, so let me think of like the three or four things that, I'm, that are like kind of comfortable to be vulnerable with, 
and I'll make sure I share those just to get people off, the scent, off my scent, you know, that I'm actually kind of a closed off, reserved person. So I'll share the things that are either fashionable or easy or not too embarrassing or whatever they are. But to be, to be vulnerable about the things we really need in whatever category it is, that is hard. Admitting neediness is embarrassing, especially in our culture where there's such a drive for self-sufficiency. It is really hard to be honest. And it's risky. It's risky because we probably can all think of times where we have just gotten the courage to step out in boldness and ask for something and a door has been slammed in our face. We've been totally dropped. We've been left hanging out to dry in that moment. And when that happens to you on something really scary, you don't want to do it again. And for good reason. It's horrible. But it can still, that can all be true, and it can also be the case that the worst dysfunctions come when we're isolated and when we refuse to let others into our lives as we actually really are. Sin and unhealth of all different kinds just flourish in isolation, and Satan does his best work on us there. So it can be scary and it can be painful, but I think the alternative is even worse, remaining isolated, refusing to share. So for our community to have any shot at being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus to one another in this way, in the way of genuine burden carrying, we each, all of us, myself and you, you, yes, you, have to step out into the difficult work of letting others know what our burdens actually are to admit weakness, to admit frailty, to admit horrible things that have been done to us, to admit poor choices that we've made, to admit difficulties that we have no rational explanation for. I can't say it was something I did or that someone else did. It just is hard. It's just hard to admit need. So if you struggle with this, as I imagine is the vast, vast majority of us, Remind yourself, remind yourself of the love that God has for you. And I know that sounds pat, but if, if we really can, can do this, it's a game changer. To admit the unshakable identity as his beloved son or daughter that you genuinely have. If you can more and more trust the good news, trust the loving heart of our Father God, of our Savior Jesus, of his spirit who indwells us, it, makes the, it doesn't eliminate the risk, but if, you know, I can stand being dropped from time to time by my friends, you know, by my wife, by my parents, by my kids. If I, can, if I can really genuinely believe at the end of the day, Jesus is there. He really does love me. The promises that I preach to you guys week in and week out, I really do think those are true, and they can't be taken from me. If, all of, if I can get increasingly secure in all that, then I can risk with people, knowing, yes, I will be dropped from time to time, yes, I will be hurt, but I still know that there will be times when Jesus expresses his love and care through you in ways that I would never experience if I keep it all to myself. So, just one thought. We must become a burden-sharing people. That then of course, turns into the call for us to be, what else do we have to do? We have to become burden-carrying people. 
And I think half the battle is just understanding this as a spiritual task of discipleship and membership in your local church. That's half the battle, because oftentimes you just think, oh, caring for people, you know, stepping into the pain or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, aren't there therapists for that kind of thing? And aren't, you know, oh, there's like one or two good people who are kind of always doing that for people. I'm sure they've got this. And you think, well, that's just not really my role. That's not really my gift. That's not really like what I contribute to this body. And unfortunately, it is what you have to contribute to this body. We need to just understand that this, all of these commands, and certainly this one no less than the others, are part of the real work of what it means to be the church. So yes, that is for me, for me, to the rest of my brothers and sisters here. And then I think, you know, a couple more pragmatic ideas. I like to think of this burden-carrying idea and the service idea in terms of making proactive commitments and then being reactively available. So proactively, I mean, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago uh, in, the, in the vision series, but I do think this is a call. This is a call to make a, a, a couple of choices, to identify a couple of places, and these can be places where you feel especially gifted or passionate, or they, maybe they're not, but places where you say, I am just going to serve here regularly. Let's take the kids' ministry, for example. Not all of you should serve in the kids' ministry, of course. But that is just one thing we go, okay, by doing this, it might seem like, ah, I'm just kind of another cog in the machine. But as we said, this is how you serve not only these children and have a role in their, like, actual coming to understand who this Jesus is that we serve. You get to teach them. You get to love them and serve them and care for them here, like, in a, in a very, very direct way. But you also get to serve the parents. There are a lot of parents at this church. And all of us, you know, a lot of times these things go, are so smooth. I don't think it's a risk here at our church, but sometimes the machine is so well-oiled that, that it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, this, like, the machine takes care of my kids while I'm upstairs worshiping. And it's not a machine. It's people. It's people who right, right now, like so, some, I'm probably standing right over, <laughs> I'm standing over like Greg Dalton down there with a coloring book in his hand or something. Um, it's real flesh and blood people right now, like taking care of my children so that I can do this right now with you. And the same for you if, if you're a parent and you have kids downstairs. Um, you get to serve parents in a way that, yes, it can become obscured by the like structure of it, but it's a, it's, someone is serving us right now. And, as we've already mentioned, you're serving the other people who serve. You are making the load, load a little bit lighter so that, you know, Jessica Ebersole doesn't have to keep volunteering in the nursery every time because there's just, oh, someone got sick again, got sick again, got sick again. There are a few people who are really at the risk of burning themselves out. So, it doesn't have to be kids' ministry, but my, my point is, making a decision like, yes, one or two places, once a month-ish, I'm just going to commit and I'm going to serve. And it's not just because that's a machine that needs to have its, you know, gears, gears greased or whatever, but because that's actually real, a real way to serve people. A real way to serve people. So that's why we're calling people to make a, make a commitment there once a month in, in, in something like this. But second, that's the proactive side. There's also just the reactive side. And I think this is where, like, the most emotionally um, deep stuff happens. Um, this, is, this is 
a basic posture that says, as life is happening for all of us, as it always is, and things happen that are hard, burdens are emerging, I'm going to be the kind of person, not because I've scheduled to do it the third Sunday of the month, but because I'm just a person with my eyes open who has love for these people who is willing to step in, I'm going to step in. And this can look so many different ways, we can't even describe them, but I like a quote from Jerry Sitzer. He says, we must get them back on their feet physically, emotionally, socially, economically, politically. The task may require us to help them uh, find a place to live, to get a new job, to straighten out their personal finances, to heal a broken relationship, to build an adequate self-image, to solve deep psychological problems, to secure their political rights, to change unjust structures, to feed them healthy food, to reform the criminal justice system, or to change bad habits. It can look a myriad of different ways. But the call is to pursue relationship and intimacy and to cultivate a genuine interest in people and to become people who ask good questions, this is all the prerequisite for this. To show people that you care, how? By actually caring. <laughs> By actually caring for them. And through that relationship, sure enough, over time, people will begin to share. You know what? I know I said I was good last week. I'm not good. I'm not good in this way, and I need help. And so you just keep coming to the table, and eventually, Eventually, you have the courage to ask and people have the courage to share and boom, there, there you have an opportunity for something deeply beautiful and gospel form to take place in this community. And remember that this is a team effort. This is a huge practical piece of this. This effort, again, is not meant to fall on any one person all of the time in any given situation. It involves pastors, friends, confidants, encouragers, counselors, prayer warriors, and on and on and on, all kinds of different people playing their role in this mosaic of what needs to happen to bear someone's burden, depending on how complex and difficult it is. Our goal, again, is to let the Spirit shape us into the kinds of people who will run into the burning building to help, who will come and sit for days if that's all that can be done, but to know that we're in a network, a team of relationships that can do this together. No one person can or should carry everything. Jerry Sitzer, again, he, he, he puts this really well. He says, burden-bearing requires a balanced strategy. First, there must be a balance between individual initiative and corporate responsibility. Second, we must strike a balance between engagement and distance. Bearing burdens uh, demands a sacrifice of time, money, and energy, and we have no say in the matter, but we do have a choice in determining how much time, money, and energy we have. Finally, there must be a balance between the short-term and the long-term burden-bearing. People lying bloody on the side of the road, I think Jesus told a story about that, if I, don't, if I recall, um, require quick action, and postponement may mean death. That's why we must be available and flexible if we want to fulfill this biblical command, for people in crisis cannot afford to wait for help. And yet, some burdens cannot be dealt with adequately unless we devote ourselves to the tasks over long periods of time. Some of these, he says, I'm just dramatic emphasis now, some of these, even a lifetime. Some burdens we literally will help our friends carry for their entire lives. And that doesn't mean you sit on their floor for the rest of your life, you know? You, 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 come, you come and you go, you give time and you have time away and so forth. But we're in it for, in many of these situations over the long haul. And that requires a different kind of pace. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Other times it's a sprint, not a marathon. 
Maybe one last thing I'd say on this is that everyone gets their turn. We will all have situations and seasons where we are needing to be carried. Right now, some of you are in that season. You just need people to carry you. Others are in a season where things are going pretty well. Not perfect. Life's never going perfect for any of us. Some of you are like, ah, things are going pretty well. You have a lot to give. That's okay. Those tables will turn at some point. The, The room will flip. Your situation will go upside down. And I'm, I hate to break, it's kind of scary when you put it that way. Like, yes, tragedy is around the corner for all of us. It's just inevitable. We don't know when. May it be a long time from now, but nonetheless, it will happen. It will happen. Um, so we all, have the, we all have situations and seasons where we need to be carried, and then we'll have others where we need to be looking to carry others. And unhealth can creep in from either angle. You know, unhealth can creep in either through refusing to carry people's burdens uh, and becoming, you know, sometimes unhealth can creep in through being the person, uh, though you probably don't need to be, who is just always continually, always receiving the carrying of other people that you never turn the corner into ever offering service or care to anyone else. It's always a danger. It's always a danger. Um, So we should just name it. Say that's not the vision either. Okay, burden bearing. One, la- one last thing, kind of final movement here, is to, to address this question. Why would God, would Jesus, would the Holy Spirit, riding through the Apostle Paul in this case, want this to be such a deep and significant mark of his church? Like, sure, it's, it's not, on one hand, it's like a duh question. Like, of course, it's nice. You know, it's a way to love one another, of course. Um, But why is service to one another such a huge theme for the church in the New Testament? Why does Paul often sign his letters, Paul, a slave of the gospel, using this as one of his core markers of identity? Why? Probably know where I'm going with this. But look at Jesus. The whole of the incarnation, life, death, resurrection of Jesus could be understood through the lens of Jesus as the ultimate servant and burden bearer, couldn't it? He defined his reason for coming as service when he told his disciples in Mark 10, for even the Son of Man came not to be served. Even me, I did not come here to be served by you. Did you know that? But to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why he came, he says. He modeled it again in person with person after person after person that he encouraged, stopping to hear and dignify their stories, to look their pain in the eye, and often to supply them with the deepest healing imaginable, didn't he? He made a point in the upper room the night he was betrayed, right before he instituted the Lord's Supper, to serve his disciples in a scandalously direct way. John 13, he laid aside his outer garments He took a towel, he tied it around his waist, and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Okay, you've heard that story. Think about it, though. The Son of Man, the Son of God, eternal God, eternally begotten, Jesus, strips his clothes, wraps a towel, and washes their feet. And the disciples are horrified, like, don't do it. Peter says, you can never do this for me. He says, if I don't wash you never be saved, Peter. This is how it works. This is how all of it works. 
Jesus told those who would listen, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. It's another way to put that. Those who are burdened, those who are burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'll come under this yoke with you. We will carry it together. That's the image. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Even now, post-ascension of Jesus, Peter urges his readers that you can cast all your anxieties on him. It's another way to put that. He'll bear those anxieties with you because he cares for you. Jesus is the same God about whom the psalmist declared, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. And it was the cross that tied all of this together. It was the ultimate act of service whereby he freely gave his life to provide us with the forgiveness of sins and intimate, unbreakable fellowship with him. He served to our good and flourishing at the greatest cost to himself. But it is based in his genuine freedom. He didn't have to go to the cross, but he chose to do it. Freedom expressed through loving service. So with all that said, listen to the words of Paul in Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Why does all this stuff matter for the church? Paul tells us very clearly. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He first does this to you and for you, and you receive it through faith and trust in him. If you haven't, do it today. And then he does it to and for others through you. That's the point. This is who he is. But he says, have the same mind. He did all this and he is this. You go and do likewise. So in conclusion, Christ, may it be so, Christ reigns here in this community. Christ reigns in this community. Therefore, if that is true, and so do service and gentle care through burdens of all kinds. Amen? One last passage. Mark 10 again. Jesus called the disciples to him and said to them, he said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And we don't have to be in ancient Israel. You know. Look how power works in our world. You know, people just lord it over one another. People trample to get ahead. That's how it works. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yeah, we've seen that. But it shall not be so among you. 
but whoever would be great among you must become your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray.